0: It was fun last week. We were—it's uh, good to be back home this week. But last week we were blessed to be able to go back and uh, and, and preach homecoming. I was able to preach homecoming at my first uh, church, uh, Lynn United Methodist Church. I served Lynn, Boyle, Boyle Lynn, and Litton United Methodist Churches from uh, from 1999 to 2004, and it was a joy. It's a joy to be back with those friends and uh, hear old stories about the time I nearly caught my car on fire. And all, it was—it was good about the time I got my car stuck in a cotton field. It was just, it just yeah, they really enjoyed making fun of me. I don't, know why, I don't know why folks make fun of me, Tim. I mean, I'm sweet. I am. <laughs> so it was good being with old friends and hearing old stories. And we were, we were they, one, one lady came up, came up to Holly while we were, this may have been before we were eating or at some point in the day, and she said, she said, I just want to thank you so much for marrying Andy. And I said, "Yeah, me. Too. I, I agree with that. I thank you for marrying Andy." She said, "Because before he married you, he was so miserable." And I thought, I didn't think I was that bad off. I mean, I a little, you know, a little lonely, but it was okay. I didn't think I was. I didn't think it's so that bad, but we were, we were laughing about that because we got married while we were up there and just laughing about some of those stories when she was at Southern Miss and I was up there. And, and you know, it got, that got me thinking when I was reading the text and those stories about how when you just enter into a relationship, be it a dating relationship or, or, or even a friendship, you know, when you're first getting to know somebody, you work, you work really hard to impress them. You know, you for the first day, you put on your, your best clothes and you take a bath if you're a guy. I mean, you do the essentials. You know, and you work really hard when you're in a relationship, you know, even if it's dating or, or maybe a new job. I mean, anytime you enter into something new, you work so hard to make a good impression. You work so hard to impress them, to look good, to look smart, to look, to look competent, to look all these things. You, you work so hard in those first few moments, first few dates or first few days to, to really impress this person, to, to get them to like you, to, think, to, to, to lie if you have to so that you can look good, whatever you got to do. I, a few years back on the Internet, I read a story about you could buy online fake ATM receipts that had a larger balance than you actually had. And they said you could hide them around your apartment. So if the person you're dating sees them, they'll think you have more money than you really do. You know, So we will go to long lengths to impress folks, won't we? I always thought, just don't spend the money on that and you know, save it. It'll all kind of work out the same, what I thought. but the, and, and then, of course, when you've been in a relationship or you get married, you know, it, it, it's like when you're married, you don't, you just kind of stop pretending and you just kind of are who you are. And there's a lot of jokes we can make at that, you know, about that expense. You know, I always tell couples when I, when I do premarital counseling with them that they're going to, they're, they're in love and all that and the warm fuzzies and, you know, they get married and about six months later, they realize, Ooh, I'm stuck with this person what do I do now you know so the pretense is the longer you're in a relationship the pretense is fall don't they and you just kind of are who you are whether it be in a marriage you just are who you are whether it be in a work environment you just kind of are who you are whether it be in a friendship you just kind of are who you are the pretense is ends and the reality just kind of sets in that's not bad I think it's good I think that's a good thing, actually. I remember, I remember one day, me and Ho- I knew things were great with me and Holly when we were, we were driving down the road going somewhere. And this is hard for me. We were just riding down the road, and I realized, I don't have to talk. I like to talk. I mean, I like to talk to him. I went here last week. I got a lot to say. And I got a <laughs> and that And that was beautiful, just to realize we just like being together. The pretenses are done. I was thinking about that in relation to the text we read this morning. You know, that's Paul's letter to the Galatians. you know, it's kind of hard as a preacher to pick your favorite book of the Bible, but I, I just love, I love Galatians. Galatians is just, just a great book. Paul Paul wrote this letter to Galatians, and what Paul's letters were is they were just that. It was Paul writing letters to churches. When, when we were up there last week, Thomas made a little buddy, you know, and I told the, the little boy's mama, I said, back in the day, they could have become pen pals, you know. Paul is writing these letters to churches. So he's writing a letter to the church in Galatia. He's writing a letter to the church in Rome. He's writing multiple letters to the churches in Corinth. That's what he's doing. And these churches are dealing with specific issues that they're struggling with, that Paul is answering their questions and teaching them and helping them know what it means to be a Christian. So one of the things he, he, he deals with specifically in Galatians is this. The Galatians church, the church in Galatia, it had a lot of believers that were Jewish by birth, that were were Jews that had become Christian. Many of the other churches he dealt with were Gentiles, non-Jews that became Christians, but specifically in Galatia, there were a lot of Jewish Christians. And so these Jewish Christians, they were struggling with what does it mean to be a Christian? Because for most of their life, they practiced Judaism. And in Judaism, there are specific things you do and don't do. You eat this, or you don't eat that. You wash this way, or you don't wash this way. They had lived their lives by the law. They had lived their life being obedient to both a moral code and a Levitical worship code. And Paul says the moral code stays in place, love God, love your neighbor. But this Levitical purity code, no longer for us as Christians, is valid. And they were struggling with this. Because for their whole life, they had done things one way. One way. That's what they knew. That's how they lived. And now they had to switch over to a completely different way of thinking. And y'all, that's hard. It's hard after years of living to change how you think and change how you live. That's a challenge. So Paul is over and over and over again talking to the Galatians about grace. One of his great quotes, and it's either there in Ephesians, where he says, We are saved by grace through faith, lest no man can boast. We are saved by grace. He said at the end of this letter, this, this passage we read. He said, If 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 you can be justified by the law, if you can be justified by keeping the law, then Christ died for nothing. That's called grace alone. One of the core principle, bedrock beliefs of the Christian church is that we are saved by grace through faith, lest no man can boast. We are saved by grace that's how you become a Christian. It's not about Becoming a Christian is not about what you do. It's about putting your whole faith and life in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart that Christ is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth, then you shall be saved. That's it. That's the gospel. We are not saved by what we have done We are saved by what Jesus has done. Our salvation is not something that we earn. Our salvation is a free gift from Jesus Christ that we accept through faith. That's the bedrock principle of the Christian gospel. Salvation by grace through faith. Okay, so we come to God. We enter into our relationship with God and our brokenness, don't we? You don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. You don't have to become perfect to be God. In fact, think about your own life. How many of us came the closest to God in the midst of our brokenness? How many of us in the midst of a trial or trouble or death or sickness Our tragedy. How many of us at our lowest moment was that not the moment when we were drawn closest to God? Our closeness to God does not come from our perfection, but in fact, our closeness to God, our walk with God, is often made most close in our imperfection, in our brokenness, in our failures, in our need, in our poverty. The beauty of the gospel is that when we are most broken, when we are most unlovable, is that's the moment when God has loved us the most. The Bible says, while we were yet his enemies, Christ Jesus died for us. At our our worst is when he loved us the most. So, we know we come to faith, we come to salvation honestly, and humbly. But then after we're saved, after we're converted, how do we grow? How do we grow closer to God? If, if I was going to ask you this question, how do you, how do we grow closer to God? How is it that we are the big fancy church? We're just sanctified. How are we sanctified? How are we drawn closer? How does it happen What do we, what, how does that happen? You may never thought about the question, but how do we become closer to God? How do we become more obedient to God? How do we become better Christians? You may never thought about the question, but I bet if you ask yourself, how do we become better Christians? Your answer might be something like this Well, I've got to read my Bible more, I've got to pray more. I've got to go to church more. I've got to serve more. I've got to give more. I've got to do something more. Notice what we've done, if we're not careful. We reversed what happens in a normal human relationship. In a normal human relationship, you work real hard to impress on the front end, and then you kind of get lazy on the back end. In the gospel, sometimes we come to God in our poverty and in our weakness, and then we get saved, and then we spend the rest of our life trying to earn God's approval. We come to God for salvation and conversion, but we look to ourselves for our sanctification, We look to ourselves for our growth. We look to ourselves for our stuff. We know we don't need God's approval for our conversion or for our salvation. But so many of us live our Christian lives in desperate search of God's approval for our daily growth. We come to salvation through grace, but then we try to grow through works. And y'all, that just doesn't work. I think that's why we get so frustrated in our daily walk sometimes. I think that's why we get so frustrated in our daily walk with God, because we find no matter how hard we try, we still miss the mark. And in, in the Delta, I had a lady on her, had, she had a, a sign on her wall that uh, said this, the harder I try, the worser I get. You ever felt that way? C.S. Lewis says, no man knows how very evil he is, till he has tried very hard to be good. My daddy um, was a tinkerer. He, he, he was a piddler. I, I, I guess I get that from him. I don't, he, he wasn't really good at, you know, doing things right, but man, he could fix anything. And he could rig together the best things. One day, he had um, he had an old tractor that he used to plow and to, to, to work on the work around the house on the farm. But he hated the seat. He hated the seat of that tractor. So what he did, he went to the junkyard and got a boat seat. And he took off his seat on the tractor and put the boat seat on it. And it looked ridiculous. And I said, Daddy. I said, what in the world have you done? You look ridiculous. He said, sit in it. I sat in it and I went, ooh, this is nice. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I like this. So, he was really good at tinkering. So, growing up, me and Daddy tinkered a lot. We were always fooling with stuff and rigging stuff together and things like that. And you know how it is you work on a tractor or you work on the farm? You get your hands filthy. So, we'd be piddling and working. And after the end of the day, you'd come, you'd, you know, Mama wouldn't let us come to the, at the table with our hands dirty. So, we had to clean. You know, my hands would just be covered with soot and grease and dirt and everything. And I'm scrubbing and I'm scrubbing and I can't get it clean. He'd give me some gojo and I'd put the gojo on it and I'd smell funny for a week, but I couldn't get it clean. And I'd scrub and scrub and scrub and get the little brush out and scrub and scrub and scrub and I I could just never get all the junk off of me. And I think I'd get it off of me and i look and there it is. That's our life sometimes. We scrub our hearts so hard. We scrub and scrub and scrub and try to get it right and try to get it perfect and try to do it just right and try to be just right and try to be perfect. And we work so hard and we buff and buff and scrub and scrub and try so hard to earn God's approval and try so hard to get it right and try so hard to be perfect. And we look up and there's a big old spot of grease in the middle of our hand. that for life was we just can't get clean. And we've got to realize, through our own effort, through our own stuff, through our own work, we will never get it clean. Only God's grace will get it clean. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What? Can make me whole again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You are saved by the grace of God. And you are sanctified. You are purified. You are made clean. You are made whole by the grace of God. You did not earn it on the front end, and you don't earn it on the back end. You just got to accept it. Well, then what do we do, preacher? That's a great question. I mean, I'm a to-do list guy. I got a to-do list about everything. So what are we supposed to do? Jesus said this, love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor those relationships that mean so much to us why do we act why do we put down pretenses why can we put down pretenses around those we love by the way why are we sometimes the worst to the folks we love the most because we know they love us we don't have to pretend we don't have to be somebody that we aren't we can just be us You don't have to pretend around God y'all He knows you anyway And here's what's beautiful Here's what's beautiful When you put down the pretenses When you stop pretending to be perfect When you stop spending every ounce of your life Trying to make God love you And then simply accept the fact that God loves you It changes your life And so you live your life not trying to desperately earn God's approval, but you live your life in thankful obedience because you have received God's approval. He loves you, not because you're perfect. He loves you because he is perfect. He loves you not because of anything you've ever done. He loves you because of what he has done. You you didn't save yourself, and you don't live daily by yourself. You are his. He has formed you, he has made you, and he has saved you. You don't have to make yourself perfect. You just got to let him love you. And when you let him love you completely, it'll change your life. Grace. That's God's gift to us. May we live out of that grace each moment. Let us pray.